Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show, Life, Love, and Liberty. Happy Monday. Boy, do we have a special guest for you today, especially for you parents who are just blowing up my, my phone, my email, text messages, all that good stuff with what the heck do we do? We're all looking to Virginia. All eyes are on Virginia for obvious reasons. You know why? Because I guess God has chosen to like pull the curtains back using Virginia as a prime example of just how bloated the national education system is overreach after overreach. You've got the Washington Post this morning making fun of parents, telling you that you guys have never had a say-so in your kids' curriculum, nor should you, as if you're just too dumb, deaf, or stupid to figure out you know, what's best for your own child. But we see that with this ever-growing Leviathan called government, which honestly, folks, I think has always been the case. I think we're just now realizing how bad it is because we have poked the kitty, so to speak, and that thing is rearing its head to show us, hey, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, you've sacrificed your kids, you've abdicated for years at our altar of education, and now all of a sudden, you want to say so? So I think between the mandates and CRT and things where you guys are just like, what? And you realize that school boards are, uh, you know, withholding criminal information, uh, you know, that should have been reported in Virginia, Loudoun County more specifically. My last guest, Tina Ramirez, who is running for uh, the Virginia 7th Congressional District, brilliant lady, please go back and listen to that show if you missed it. Uh, policymaker, understands everything about, you know, human rights. And I, I got to tell you all something. She advocates for human rights as it pertains to a lot of spectrums, but also primarily in the way of freedom of speech, because she sees how lack of freedom of speech also brings a society to its knees uh, in terms of lack of freedom and complete uh, overthrow of one's freedom. And I would venture to say that your child's education is equally as as much of a human right as it pertains to you as the parent. I'm not saying that uh, that, that school boards and, 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 and government funded, which we all know, we keep throwing money at this thing. And we're going to talk to my special guest here in just a minute about throwing the money into the furnace, into the furnace of the education beast. And what are we really getting for it? What are we really getting for it in the end? So without further ado, I have with me today, Corey DeAngelis, National Director of Research for School Choice Now, Adjunct Scholar for the K- at the Cato Institute, Senior Fellow at the Educational Freedom Institute, Executive Director, I'm sorry, ed- Executive Director at the uh, Educational Freedom Institute, Senior Fellow for the Reason Foundation. He's also one of Forbes 30 Under 30. Corey, welcome to my show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, we have quite the show going on in Virginia. All eyes are on Virginia. But uh, but there. listen, here in the state of Georgia, it is a mess. It is equally as much of a mess. I, I visit with parents in small groups, parents who are left out of this public school conversation because they are left alone on the island of private school education, and they're being equally as molested by their leaders and overreach uh, 
uh, of headmasters and whatnot, but because they pay for it, no one seems to think they matter. So it's kind of like, you already have school choice, so what are you complaining about? So my question to you is, you know, considering what we've seen uh, from the McAuliffe campaign, it's like, how should parents who value having a choice in their kids' education stand against everything we see happening? Yeah, I mean, with the uh, McAuliffe-Yunkin race, Think the, tab- the tables have really turned ever since the last gubernatorial debate where the Democratic candidate McAuliffe said, and I quote, I don't think parents should be telling schools what to teach. Uh, he was leading in the polls by five percentage points for you know August and September. And then after that debate comment, it's flipped. Um, and there's actually been one poll finding support for Yunkin up by one percentage point, but uh, a couple of them with the latest one today showing a a neck-and-neck tie, 48% to 48%. And a lot of people are crediting the education stance of Yunkin as the reason for this switch over time. Uh, The latest Monmouth University poll found that education has become one of the top uh, voting issues, and it jumped by 10 percentage points, the amount of people saying that education was one of their first two choices, from 31% to 41% from uh, September to October. And for the first time in October, Yunkin led the, uh, the the Democrat McAuliffe by one percentage point on the issue of education. And, and if you're a Democrat on education, you're behind. That's not looking good for you. Yeah, of course. What is what is driving this? Is it CRT? Is it mask mandates? Is it a combination of the two? Well, it's a lot of things. I mean, parents have been really fed up with the public school system in general over the past year and a half. They felt powerless with the school closures and they had to run around and scramble to try to find pandemic pods or micro schools or had to pay for private school tuition fees out of pocket. And families started to realize that the system isn't really there to meet their needs. Um, And we've seen that with the latest comments from the National School Board Association essentially trying to suggest that some parents should be labeled as domestic terrorists. Um, And and parents parents don't feel valued in in the current system. And they've particularly figured this out this past year. So they've started to push for school choice or uh, the concept that I would refer to as funding students as opposed to systems, having the money follow the child to wherever they're getting an education, public or private or or homeschool. And parents have started to push uh, against CRT in the classroom, uh, partially because of the school closures, parents got to see what was going on in the classroom. And a lot of parents weren't very happy with the form of uh, uh, with how things were being taught and and the topics that were being discussed over remote learning. And so parents have started to wake up and I don't think they're going to stop fighting for the right to educate their children as they see fit. So I think we're only going to see a stronger, broader push for candidates that support educational freedom, but then also for policies themselves where that, that allow the money to follow the child. For example, the latest Real Clear Opinion Research polling nationwide found a 10 percentage point jump in support for school choice mm-hmm. from August, from April of 2020 to June of 2021, with 64% support in 2020 to 74% support of school choice in June of 2021. Wow. And 19 states this past year, including Georgia, have expanded or enacted programs to fund students as opposed to systems. There are bigger victories in states like West Virginia. They they did it universally. All families can take their children's education dollars to a private or home-based 
learning option right. if they if they don't like their public school for whatever reason. Georgia had a slight expansion of their already existing program. Excellent. So, so you mentioned, you know, on your tweet this morning, this is all free advertising, right, for homeschooling and for school choice. So, I have a very serious question because I, I feel like it's just a matter of time before before we see this happen. Uh, how long before we can expect the lobbying efforts to abolish homeschool to begin? To abolish homeschool, correct. That- yeah, I mean, it's uh, the the government's always coming, trying to come after parental rights, and it, it it could be the case that seeing so many families switching to homeschooling could lead to more calls for regulation. And in fact, there was just in I want to say April 2020, just as everybody started to do some form of home based education, there was actually an 80 page article by a professor at Harvard Law School by the name of Elizabeth Bartholet, calling for a presumptive ban on homeschooling. Right. And what, what made me optimistic, even though there was this call, was the fierce backlash against this authoritarian call to take away parental rights. And it didn't really work out too well for that Harvard professor. Her, her arguments didn't stand up to the slightest bit of scrutiny, and they were just completely atrocious uh, and, and authoritarian. So I, I don't see that that being um, accomplished anytime soon, thankfully, in the United States. And in fact, with more families getting a taste of homeschooling or at least some type of home-based education, and with more families switching to formal homeschooling, uh, uh, the latest numbers that I've seen from the U.S. Census Bureau suggest that there's been over a tripling of formal homeschooling in the United States with now 11.1% of households homeschooling at least one child relative to pre-pandemic levels it's over a tripling because it was about 3% of, of, home, of, of school-aged children were homeschooling before the pandemic. So with more people actually participating in homeschooling and getting a, a taste of it, I think that society will be less likely to call for regulations or bans of, of homeschooling because it'll be less of a strange thing in society. And so that's another one of the silver linings of the of the pandemic. One of them was that Families got to see what was going on in the classroom, so they started to switch to homeschooling. But another one was that with more experience, people experiencing homeschooling, the more likely they'll they'll come out to defend the rights of homeschoolers. That's right. No, I agree with that. I homeschooled. I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of it. Um, and, and interesting to note that 16% of black families have begun mm-hmm. to homeschool. And I bring that up for this reason. Because I have found that the Democrats historically are ardently against school choice. And particularly my black uh, colleagues, they are, and it just astounds me. I just don't understand. Please explain to us how this narrative has become so mangled by the Democrats that somehow school choice disables or disadvantages, uh, creates a disadvantage for a black student versus a white student. Yeah, they've got it completely backwards. Just think about the current system and the inequities that exist and, and uh, racial gaps when it comes to academic performance in the government school system. There's already horrible inequities and a, a ridiculous history of our government-run school system. Mm-hmm. And in fact, if you think about it, advantaged families are already more likely to have school choice in one form or another. They're more likely to be able to afford to live in a neighborhood that happens to be 
residentially assigned to the best quote unquote public school and more advantaged families more likely to be able to pay out of pocket for private school tuition and fees. So funding students directly, allowing the money to follow the child actually leads to more equity by allowing more families to access educational alternatives. We spend about 15 or $16,000 per child per year in the government school system in the U.S. That was before 2021. It's probably more like $19,000 per child per year now and uh, with all the federal bailout money. Um, and private school tuition and fees is only around 11000 or $12,000 per student per year. Just imagine how many families could access educational alternatives, better ones than what they're residentially assigned to in the current system, if we just allowed the money to follow the child. And this... This is really interesting to me that a lot of the same people that support programs that fund individuals as opposed to institutions when mm-hmm. it comes to higher education with Pell Grants, where the money can follow the student to a private university if they like, or a public university based on their choice. Right. And the same thing with pre-K programs, the, the family can take the money to a, a public or private religious or non-religious provider of pre-K. All the same people that support these programs, they only get all up in arms about it when it comes to those in-between years of K-12 education. Mm-hmm. I mean, just think about it. We do the same thing with food stamps. We, we would never tell low-income families they must spend their food stamp dollars at a residentially assigned government-run grocery <laughs> provider. That would be absolutely atrocious. Right. Whether you agree or disagree with the amount of funding we have for food stamps, we can all agree that if we're going to spend the money, it should go to people and they should be able to take it to Walmart or Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or Safeway. It shouldn't go straight to a government-run institution that you're residentially assigned to. Yet, those same people that support the money go to, going to individuals or families, but not to institutions, they get all up in arms about the notion that the money should follow the person's decision when it comes to K-12 education. And the only difference there, the only way that you can bridge that apparent logical inconsistency is that there's a difference in power dynamics. Choice is the norm with higher education, pre-K, and groceries, and just about everything else. But choice threatens an entrenched special interest only when it comes to those in-between years of K-12 education. And that special interest, the teachers unions, overwhelmingly disproportionately donate to one political party, the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And so that's the issue here. It's not about logic or morality or what's the right thing to do, because if we're being consistent, you should support the funding following the person as opposed to the building in all forms, right. whether it comes to Medicaid dollars that can be used at private Catholic hospitals or higher education, you should apply the same logic to K-12 education and fund students, not systems. That's right. Amen to that. Uh, one last question. So with, so a lot of parents contact me who have done their own research, and they're trying to follow the money trail and because they just, they're aghast, and they, and they cannot understand how they've been overruled by this, you know, the, this regime, uh, not only federally, but as we see it, you know, at the local level with regard to their schools. And what some of them is, have found is just this mm, really kind of menacing money trail, if you will, from, from the accreditation agencies all the way to your local school where it's almost as if someone, you know, the puppet master is the accreditation holder that says, no, this is the curriculum, right? This is the route we're going to take. Is there any truth to that? Yeah. I mean, the the accreditation um, agencies could have a a, a lot of control over what happens in, in the schools. And similarly, if you think about all the federal funding and state level funding uh, that makes its way down to the local level. I mean, 
state level funding and, and federal funding combined is over is over a majority of the funding in in the in the government schools at the local level, mm-hmm. and so there could be lots of strings attached uh, to that funding, um, and and that mm-hmm. yeah that that yeah. that could be part of it. Okay. So um, pushing yeah. back um, at the at the state legislator legislature level That's could right. help, and but then also if you had the money follow the child, that could incentivize the public schools to, to change their curriculum. And I, and, I, and I would argue that they'd be less likely to focus on divisive topics in the public schools if parents could vote with their feet away from uh, schools that indoctrinate kids. And right. they, they might be more likely to focus on the basics and actually teach kids to, to read and write. Right. Well, I said it was my last question, but I lied. I have, <laughs> I have one more question uh, because you're just an awesome source of a wealth of information. Thank you. And again, thank you for taking the time to be here this morning. So CRT, what is, speaking of divisive, that's what, that's what triggered that for me. Speaking of divisive, um, you know, some people say, ah, it's not what you think it is. It's, it's not divisive. It's, it's underpinnings are not as divisive as you think it is. As a policy shaper, as a person who subscribes to liberty and the idea of, you know, of of equality, right? And you used the word equitable earlier in a very positive, uh, in a very positive (laughs) fashion, I might add. Thank you. Uh, And so talk to us about what you believe, if you are at liberty to do so, uh, the dangers of CRT um, are. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of the problem with the CRT debate in general is that people disagree about what it actually means. And if you're on the side of saying that, you know, this is just um, this is just teaching an honest history, I think nobody disagrees with the idea that we should teach the good and the bad of history in, in the United States. That's pretty, right. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't really classify that as what most people are thinking of when they have problems with what's going on in the public school system. I think what they have problems is, is these specific instances of dividing kids into certain affinity groups or, or having these trainings teaching people that they are inherently good or inherently bad based on uh, the color of their skin. I think that could mm-hmm. obviously be a problem. Sure. Uh, but when we're talking about things like, you know, there could be systemic biases, I have less of a, of, of a problem with the idea of systemic racism, for example, because that applies to the, you know, that applies to the government run school system. I think uh, if you look at the district barriers in the government school system today, they often mirror the redlining of the 1930s, which leads to inequities in the government school system. And I would argue that's, that's an argument for school choice and allowing the money to follow the child to wherever the kid's getting an education so that there would be more equity in, in the public school system. The problem is I don't see that the public school system has a very uh, strong interest in teaching its own problems as it, <laughs> as it pertains to right. this, these kind of inequities in the current system. Right. So it all, talk, it, all, it, it all depends on the implementation and how things are taught. And I think that's what many parents have a problem with. They disagree with the one-sided nature Right. Of, of what they're seeing in the current school system. Correct. So I think the, the obvious solution is, well, one, take back the school boards and push for uh, either less divisive topics or uh, um, topics that can be covered more, more fairly, or two, push for school choice so that you can vote with your feet to, to institutions that align with your values. 
Right. Exactly. Well, uh, on a final note, do you have a word of encouragement for our parents, uh, not just in Virginia, I'm headed to Virginia this week, actually. And, uh, and I love, I love Virginians and you know, the, 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 the birthplace of Liberty, as far as I'm concerned. And so you guys have a heck of a fight on your hands all across the board. And I'm happy to see people so engaged and Virginians have not given up, uh, and they're out there fighting for their children. So, but across the nation, do you have a word of encouragement for parents? Yeah, I will say parents matter, and we're seeing that in the Virginia governor's race. The latest poll that just came out today by a polling firm called Signal, which typically is biased by two percentage points in favor of Democrats, shows that parents of K-12 children are overwhelmingly coming out in favor of Yunkin, 56% for Yunkin and only 39% for Terry McAuliffe. And this has been a switch relative to when those statements were made about parental empowerment and Terry McAuliffe saying that he doesn't think that parents should be telling schools what to teach. Parents have true power when it comes to elections and when it comes to shaping policy. And they have a right to say how their children are, are educated in schools. And look, they their support of educational freedom has led to 2021 nationwide being deemed the year of school choice, where we had 19 states with expansions of educational freedom this year. Relative to the previous legislative session, there was only one state that I can recall, Utah, that had a new private school choice program. And now we're having 19 states expanding educational freedom this year. I think parents are waking up and figuring out they have true power in society. Mm -hmm. And I think they're finally figuring out, and hopefully the rest of society is as well, that there isn't any good reason to fund failing closed buildings that are indoctrinating your kids right. when you can fund the student directly instead, just like we do with just about any other taxpayer-funded initiative with every, any other industry and level of education. And we should do this. There's no good reason to not apply that same logic to K-12 education as well. So parents have true power. They're not going to stop fighting. and um, I'm optimistic that they're going to continue marching forward uh, in making their voices heard. Excellent. Thank you. Corey DeAngelis. Thank you so much. You guys need to follow Corey on Twitter and wherever he is and look out for him. Corey, you're welcome back here anytime. Thank you. And God bless your efforts. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Bye-bye. So as you heard, the numbers are staggering. People are finally engaged. Uh, That is very encouraging. Uh, states across the nation are looking more toward school choice. I will say, even those you know within the, who are deeply embedded in the fight uh, for school choice, and it is a fight, isn't that awful? It's awful that we have. I have to characterize, you know, your choice as a fight on this soil. I mean, just let that sink in, particularly as it as it pertains to your children. Right. And it, and it started in education and, and now we're looking at mandates of all sorts as it pertains to your child's own health. Right. And, and one thing that the left loves to do, and you know, on my show, I I don't spend a lot of time talking about left and right and Democrats and Republicans, because if, if this entire year has taught me anything and hopefully you, and I've been in politics for over 20 years, but I've never seen it more flagrantly and just blatantly in your face as I have now. So evident that across the board, the entire system is a sewer, 
right? It's sure, you have sides that champion causes, right? But at the end of the day, you really have to question the motivation behind uh, some of these folks and, and the causes they're championing and why, right? And we know, I've often said, and I know my libertarian friends take exception to, you know, even God being involved in our lives down here on his planet, and that's fine, but here's the deal. I, in in their very limited government, as am I, I'm fine with that too. Um, But I believe that there is a place for godly governance. You know why I say that? I don't say that as a religious person, as a minister. I don't say that. There's, you know, of course, I I enjoy uh, righteousness and I I wish that everyone would love everybody and, you know, but, but even love has been skewed. So that you don't even have a choice about how you love people. Because in order to afford others' choices, you have to abdicate yours. Well, that's not freedom. And that's not godly. And so as it pertains to choice, I subscribe to a godly governance in this earth. And what does that mean? Liberty. Because liberation for all is the absolute bedrock as far as my faith teaches me, to all existence in any form of righteousness or freedom, uh, equality, prosperity, opportunity. Some people believe that opportunity is a a man-made construct. And sure, here on this earth, I understand that. I understand that. I do not mean to devalue um, anyone else's struggles or plights. And I understand because I understand the world's system. The world system has always been such, but I also understand, I understand God's economy as well. I read stories like uh, Joseph, right? I read stories like Daniel, people who were thrown into lion's dens, people who were stories of, of people who were thrown into furnaces, right? People who were thrown into prison, falsely accused, thrown into prison, uh, came out and ended up the governor of the entire nation of their enemy. So, yes, I know that the world system exists. I also know that God is always interested in a godly form of governance here that's always going to provide uh, for freedom first. Freedom. It's always about freedom. It's about your liberty. So I appreciate the work that Corey and others are doing, but I, I will also add that my friends who work in this space will tell you that disproportionately the inner city schools receive the most amount of assistance. And so your kids who are in rural areas do not see a lot of the funding. They do not see the, the quote, benefits of the Leviathan pouring out dollars. And might I remind you whose dollars they're pouring? They're yours. And the left would love, like I said, that's how I started that whole rant. The the left loves to shame and blame while denying and taking the sanctimonious perch on just about every subject. If you will go and read the Washington Post article, the absolute arrogance is really nothing new, but as it pertains to you as a parent, um... I would encourage you to go read that as if you needed another log on the fire uh, under your uh, hind end to continue the fight for your kids and your choice and their choice. 
And I'm going to tell you, it's no coincidence, you know, Corey was talking about why is it that from K through 12, you know, why isn't it held in the same regard? Well, obviously, and why, why is there such a fight for those dollars not to have a choice? Well, obviously, those are the indoctrinating years. Those are the years when your kids' minds are the most formidable. So I want, I want to leave you with this. I homeschooled, and I honestly felt exactly how many of you did and some of you do about feeling so ill-equipped you know, we, we've, I would like to think that we've always held our teachers in a high regard in this country. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't still, I mean, I think what we're dealing with is an at, is just a runaway. Um, I keep referring to it as a Leviathan, as a regime of, of administration, as, as it is with healthcare, as it is with most things, wherever there's administration is where you're going to find all the money trails and all the quote incentives. So always keep that in mind. But I do believe that well-meaning, awesome, beautiful people, you know, get into education because they, it's certainly not for the money for most teachers, right? Which should have been our first clue that something's completely ass backwards, excuse the expression. Um, but I believe that most teachers get involved in teaching children because they have a love and a respect and an honor for the minds of little people that they are shaping and they are forming. I have to believe that every teacher I know that is, that is their heart with why they got involved in teaching. Right. But you know, as as you, as you move forward with decisions that you're going to make regarding whether or not you are equipped because you're not a teacher, right? But here's the deal. You are. You teach your child everything else, or at least we should be as parents. You are equipped. You are equipped to teach your child. And there are so many Oh my gosh, you will literally, matter of fact, most of you are completely overwhelmed with which curriculum to to choose when it comes to homeschooling your child or children. And I'll tell you, the more children you have, the easier homeschooling is, to be quite honest with you. It actually ends up more of a Montessorial approach uh, where the older students are helping the younger students and the younger students are sponges. And so they're picking up on uh, principles that the... Uh, and doctrines that the older students are learning. So um, I was scared, just like many of you. Thankfully, my daughter is very much so a self-starter, and she loves consuming information and knowledge. She loves seeking wisdom and knowledge, and thankfully, she came out that way. But I saw very early on when I was, we were very poor and did not have money to send her to, continue to send her to a private school, uh, after my husband passed away and she was a Montessori from pre-K through second grade. And we lost all of our money in a scam, as most of you have already know my story. Uh, and then we lost it in the stock market. Thank you, housing bubble. And so I, I just didn't have the money and I really felt in my spirit that I was called to teach her. So I came off the road from singing. Uh, I quit that. I left my career behind and I homeschooled my daughter And, you know, thankfully for a number of things that were coming in the future that I could not see, I'm glad I say, I said amen to that call, but it was very scary. So I'm not diminishing the fear, the terror, actually, that many of you feel like, oh my gosh, am I going to be stuck with my kids in the same house for, yes, (laughs) but there are things that you can do to integrate, you know, social activities you have to. 
you know, when I homeschooled, there were only like, I don't know, four quarter categories of homeschooling parents. You had the flower children, right? Their kids were always dirty, running around in the dirt, barefoot, eating dirt. You know, everything was kumbaya. And then you had the anti-government people who wore their kids, you know, their pigtails had their ribbons were tinfoil ribbons. And so they didn't trust anything. The government was out to get you. Now I don't think they're so tinfoil, haha. <laughs> but at the time I was like, oh boy. You know, it was like a community that Alex Jones had spawned. So no offense. And then there were the holy rollers who would not allow their kids to have anything to do with any kids outside of their house, right? Like it was it was all Jesus all the time and they could never be exposed. Like Monica you can't let them play out in the cul-de-sac. Like, it's got to be all or nothing. I'm like, are you nuts? Like, I'm not raising a Malachi children of the corn here. So I, you know, I socialized. We socialize our puppies more than some of these people do in homeschooling groups that are of the religious sect. So, and then who was the, and then there was, you know, the cool group like me. And there was only a few of us who were just like, hey, we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> But we value our kids and their minds, and we can't. I personally just could not afford the private school that I really wanted her to go to, and and so I homeschooled her. By the time I was I was even tinkering with the idea of sending her to a public school in our district, I I went just for giggles, just to say I did it. I went, and I thought, you know what? Fine, let let's enroll and see what happens. <laughs> My first appointment. Uh, with the enrollment counselor. And she said, and my, and my daughter tested three grades above where she should have been. And it's not because I'm the sharpest tool in the shed. I can assure you of that. It's because she is a self-starter and she's very disciplined and she did her work and she loves to learn. And so there were holes in her learning that we made up for eventually. Uh, you know, there's a reason she got into USC on the left coast uh, with a 4.2 grade average. But she, and that was all merit, but she was a brilliant girl. Um, but the counselor looks at me and I said, well, ma'am, she's, she's tested ab- above where you guys would put her. So h- how do we move forward with that? She said, oh, I'm sorry. We don't do that here. Uh, you know, and I said, what do you mean you don't do that here? And she said, well, we don't move our students ahead of, of others. And I was like, okay, thank you. So I grabbed my daughter's hand. I was like, come on, time to go, sister. So we left and, I, and that, that was my first experience with this whole thing of no child left behind is total crap. That's all that is. It's really no child gets ahead. I'm just telling you. And some of you just said, amen, because you know, I'm right. So it's no child gets ahead, right? And now you see it. Oh my gosh, we, it started with soccer trophies and, and now we've landed where boys are competing as girls who are still boys, but you're supposed to agree with that. And if you want to raise children who are clear thinking, sober minded, equality loving people who do not subscribe to guilt, sociological guilt and shame predicated upon lies of a false biology, uh, false history, uh, you know, bloviated ideas of, of inequity, then you're going to have to teach your child. And if you send them to a private school and you think you're going to hide there, good luck with that (laughs) because your private schools are held hostage by the same doctrine and your Christian schools. Sorry, but not all of your Christian schools subscribe to the actual gospel of liberty. Shocking, I know, but it's true. They don't. So with that, I want to encourage you. You can teach your child. There are so many tools at your disposal And there are so many groups online 
in which your kids can socialize. They can have a, they have sports, they have extracurricular activities, they have uh, arts and sciences, you name it, they've got it. So do your research and yes, yes, it may require you to take a step back, a step down in the means in which you live by the means in which you live now. You may have to actually live within your means. And I'm not saying that to shame you or guilt you as Americans, but you know as well as I do that some of us are like, well, we can't afford to do that. I lived on $24,000 a year for the majority, and that was survivor's benefits, for the majority of my daughter's young life because she was very ill, as most of you know. And by the time I wanted to go back into the workforce and I trusted more of the homeschooling community to assist with teaching and drop-offs and different classes and and environments, Um, we had a catastrophic illness uh, plague our family, and it took up 12 years of my daughter's life. And so I did not have the luxury of, and it is a luxury to work outside of your home, to work, period. My purpose and my job um, at that time was to heal, mend, tend to my daughter's health first. And would you believe that kid carried a 4.0 average through all of her studies, including but not limited to when she did move to a Christian private school uh, here in Georgia and carried a 4.2 average while, um, you know, dealing with blood transfusions and all kinds of things that most students, thankfully, will never have to contend with in their lives. And we were shamed through that process. Welcome to the Christian school. (laughs) So, you know, everyone's supposed to be perfectly Christian and not sick and not handicapped and not have spiritual handicaps, not have learning handicaps. You know, it's all about places, places, places and faces, right? You know how we are in the South, especially with our Christian, Christianese crap. So it'll follow you through schools as well. So be aware of that. Don't be intimidated. Do not be afraid. Work with your legislators as well to make sure, keep your ear to the ground to make sure that these groups who are absolutely going to be hell-bent on obstructing your ability to teach your child, to molest your rights, to teach your children, they will be working overtime. So please develop groups, develop a coalition, whatever it takes to keep your ear to the ground as to what's going on in your state legislatures. That is very important. Okay. All right, guys, thanks for joining me today. As usual, you know, I always enjoy you and, and I, I just, I want you to be encouraged. These are, these times are seething with anger, a lot of confusion, um, you know, accusation. We talked about that last week, bitterness, right? Try to take your peace back because your kids, especially if they're at home with you, they are sponges and they are taking every single thing in that you espouse, that you're complaining about, you're screaming at the television, all of your, quote, private conversations you think you have on your cell phone, uh, and they're listening outside your doors, all of that, right? We'll talk more about the homeschool experience. I'm happy to do that and give you some really cool pointers and some pitfalls to watch out for. In the meantime, be good to your neighbor beginning in your own mirror. And remember, if you're an American, act like one.
Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence.